truth around uh, real estate, right? This, the, the most important thing about real estate, say it with me, is location, location, location. Yes, all right, we are active and ready to go this morning. That's good. Uh, that, that's one thing that we all know, and one truth that Beth and I have recently learned as we have become homeowners is that uh, while you may be able to choose your new house, you may be able to choose your new home, one thing you do not get to choose is your new neighbors. Uh, you, you get to choose your new house. You may find the perfect location. It may be right where you want to live, but you do not get to choose the people who also chose to live right there, right? That's one thing that we don't get uh, in real estate. And now, while many of, many of you may be excited, you may be waiting for some juicy horror story about neighbors, uh, I'm sorry, I'll disappoint you. We don't have any yet because so far, so far, we, we love our neighbors. We, we've met every single one of the the families that live around our cul-de-sac, and it has been, we count ourselves very fortunate to have great neighbors, even right next door, some folks who have already taken, I mean, they kind of see themselves as our mom and dad right next door, really great couple. We are super fortunate uh, to, to have great neighbors so far, but it's really interesting how we came to meet every one of our neighbors. You know, on, on moving day, we, we pull in, uh, we unload all of our stuff in what, you know, the most convenient place to put, you know, over half of your stuff is right there in the attached garage. So we dumped all of our stuff in there, which made it un unusable for almost a month, right? We, we could not park our cars in the garage, which meant, which meant as we pull in, you know, we see people outside, we pull into our driveway and we get out to go inside, we realize we, ought, we probably ought to, to acknowledge these people that are outside. And we were forced, really, to go meet our new neighbors. Not just to move into our new house, but to actually become part of the neighborhood. And we're really thankful uh, for that forced interaction. It's a really been a good thing to go ahead and meet our new neighbors. Well, now our garage is clear and usable, and we park our, our cars, we pull in, and, and even though we see people right outside, and we know that they're, they're there, and we know their names, we know their faces, it's really easy now for us to just pull right into the garage, you know, maybe a little wave on the way in, but it's easy for us to stay pretty disconnected from our neighborhood. Even though we live right there, we found it pretty easy to pull right into our garages and disconnect from the neighborhood. And I'm not saying that attached garages are a bad thing. I love our attached garage. We're really excited to have one. It's not a, an evil cultural creation that's, that's undoing the fabric of society or anything like that. But it may be indicative of a shift in cultural values really over the last century, especially as you think about the way that we've made houses. We used to make houses, right, with front porches, people would gather, that's where, that's where people interact, and, and uh, you know, the garage, may, if you have one, it's in the back, right, you pull all the way through the garage, it's just something back there for storage or a workspace, but people congregated. Now we make houses with, uh, with back decks, you know, surrounded by a privacy fence, uh, and attached garages in the front that we can just pull right into and not uh, interact with our neighbors. And so I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I think we do need to admit that we live in a, a very me culture, maybe not so much a we culture, right? The, the waters we swim in are, are increasingly more and more individualistic, where we remain, we can remain pretty anonymous and live our lives independent of other people. At least we think we can. We can pull into our garages, so to speak, and just disconnect from those around us. And I think we'd all admit that this, is a, this cultural phenomenon is not just something that's happening in, in our social spheres, uh, in the places that we live, but it also, it also affects 
our vocational spheres as well. The work that we do, the places where we go to do our work. This kind of individualism doesn't just affect the places where we live and play, but it affects the places and the way that we do our work as well. But we'll see this morning, that's not what we're made for. That's not the kind of work that we're made for. And we need to shift from a me mentality when it comes to our work to a, a, a we mentality. And I don't mean a small mentality, I mean a collective mentality. I said we this morning and it just hit me in a moment. Like I think people might think I mean a we mentality. I do not mean that. I mean shifting from an individual focus to, a, to really acknowledging that we are interconnected as people and we need each other, even in our work. So if you've been with us over the last couple weeks, you, we, you know we've been talking about what it means to love our neighbors. We're in the middle of a series entitled Neighborly Love. And we learned in, in week one that that involves both Christ-like compassion. So we looked at the story of the Samaritan and how, how neighborly love, loving our neighbor, involves this, this deep compassion that's in our gut. Uh, that's the word used there. Christ-like compassion and capacity. Both are involved. We need to not only love our neighbor or be able to know our neighbor, but also be able to help our neighbor. That was week one. Last week, we learned that neighborly love is based in our creation design to be fruitful and multiply, that we are made to bear fruit for others. That's one way we love our neighbor. And this morning, we're going to see that neighborly love must also be about the, the common good, must be about what is good for all people. Or to say it another way, loving our neighbor means loving our neighborhood. Loving people, yes, our neighbors, our individuals, but also loving our neighborhoods, the places, the communities, uh, where we live and work. Neighborly love is not just a, neighborhood th- a neighbor thing, it's a neighborhood thing as well. We're not just called to love the people we know or are connected to, but, but we're called to work for the good of the places where we live and work and play. And we'll see two things from Genesis 2. So we're back in, we're back in Genesis uh, this morning, back to the beginning of the story of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But we'll be, we are in Genesis 1 last week. We'll be in Genesis 2 today. And we'll see two things in particular. One, that God has designed us to work with others, to work with others, and that he's, he's designed us to work for one another. So we're designed to work with each other in collaboration. That's kind of the key word to remember there. And also, we're designed to be interdependent upon one another. I need your work, and you need mine. And we do so, we do our work for the common good of all. That's, that's kind of where we're going this morning in Genesis 2. And like I said already, we spent last week in Genesis 1, which, which Genesis 1 allows us to see sort of a panoramic view of creation. It's the creation account with a wide-angle lens. We can see all of it. Um, and in Genesis 2, we sort of, we zoom in. Uh, we see what it means that humanity is made, what we're made for as workers. And last week, we, we explored what it means that we're made in God's image. We are made as image, image bearers of God, that we reflect him in some way. Namely, uh, that we are made for relationships and to accomplish things. Right, this bearing fruit, uh, we were made to bear fruit for one another. We were, we were designed to be connected together and to contribute to the world. So as we come to chapter 2, we zoom in on, on humanity's place in creation, and particularly what it means that 
what it means for our work. So we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 5. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and look at, at verse 5, and it should be up on the screen for us too. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So even before sin entered the picture, that's where we are, we kind of drop right into the story of creation. Even before sin is there, which comes in chapter 3, we see a world that God has made that, that actually needs something. It needs rain for plants to grow, it needs, and it needs someone to actually cultivate for there to be growth. It needs to be worked and cared for. And that's our first point this morning. We were designed to work with each other. We were designed to work with each other. And let me explain what I mean by that. So the earth is barren until God, what, he sends rain, and then he invites man to come and join him in his creative work. God makes Adam, he makes man, and then he invites him to join in this collaborative mission of cultivating and keeping the good world that he had created. We see that collaborative work is intrinsic to human life. It's intrinsic to our design, the way God has made us, and to the way that we flourish, the way that life is lived best. And the point's made even clearer uh, as as you look down to verse 15, when God gives Adam's job description. So look at verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So notice the two words used for Adam's job description, to work and to keep. Or you could say to, to work and keep the garden, or you could say to work and to keep the first neighborhood. This is the Garden of Eden is the first place where man calls home. It's the first neighborhood in the world. And it's actually, we, we joked this last week, me and another coworker, we joked, maybe we should call it Eden Gardens, because that sounds a lot more like a neighborhood that we would have here, right? So as we move forward, I may refer to it as Eden Gardens, because I think that's, uh, that would be a great name for a neighborhood. But anyway, the, the point is, Adam puts, or God puts Adam in this new first neighborhood and gives him two, two responsibilities, to work it and to keep it, or some translations you may have to cultivate and to care, which these words have a nuanced meaning as they're used throughout the Old Testament. Avodah, which is the word, the Hebrew word that's, that means to work, uh, it, it's used for priests in the temple or in the tabernacle as they're offering sacrifices. It's used as the farm, for the farmer as he's working in the field, and it's also used of a craftsman or a builder that makes stuff with their hands. It describes work that is done both to make things and to offer worship to God. And shamara, which is the word to keep, which is, uh, it's got this meaning of guarding or preserving or stewarding. And also has common uses in the Old Testament that refer to religious activity. So the language here is significant. There's no distinction here in the language between work and worship. Adam's work and worship are accomplished in the same tasks, with the same hands, right? And the work, the work that Adam does is both work and worship. And the same is true for us. The work we do, whether we're paid for it or not, is the primary way, is, is a primary way that we can worship God in this world. Like he did with Adam, God invites us to join with him in the collaborative work of cultivating and keeping his good world through the jobs that we have to do, and through our worship. There's no distinction. I mean, it's seamless. Work and worship 
in Genesis, in Genesis 2 is a seamless idea. In fact, we worship God through the work that we do, if it's done well and to his glory. So neighborly love is about work and worship for the good of our neighbors, our neighborhood, for the good of our communities. But the text goes on. God doesn't just invite Adam to collaborate with him, which he does, which is remarkable when you think about it. God makes man and then says, come work with me in in the culture care of this world. But he also designs him to work with others. Look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord, Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the text makes a very important point at this point. As you look through the creation account, over and over and over again, God says, it was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. He says of his creation, what he had made to this point, everything is said to be good. Until now, until we get to this verse, where on the last day, God says, something is not good. Something is not good. It doesn't mean that something's immoral or perverted or corrupted. But even in this sinless, in his sinless creation, this perfect neighborhood that he created, something is incomplete. Something's not quite right. Right? Adam has this perfect neighbor, neighborhood, but no one to share it with. And he has this massive task that he's been given to be fruitful and multiply. This, this, this command of, of procreation and productivity, and Adam has no way to do it. And he looks out over all of creation and says, there's no, there's no helper suitable for that task. I can't multiply. I can't be fruitful and multiply. And so God, God gives him a helper suitable for that task. He makes Eve. He gives, he gives Adam Eve. And I know for some that word helper may sound derogatory, may sound like it's like, like Eve is somehow inferior to Adam, but that's not the focus of the text here. It's actually on the work. It's on the way that Eve complements work Adam for the work, for the task that they've been given to do. Right? Where Adam is lacking and can't fulfill the job description to be fruitful and multiply, God gives him Eve and says, look, here, here's one who can help. Here's one that fits. She is suitable for the task that I've given to you. And this is at the heart of collaboration. When we talk about the fact that God has designed us to work with others, to collaborate with others for the common good, it means that, it, that we have different gifts that come together for the good of others, for the flourishing of our neighbor and our neighborhoods. And this is God's design. He has made us to work with one another. And like, like many of you, um, I have been caught up, swept up in the, in the hype of, around the Royals, right? Ever, especially ever since last September, I've been following this team closely. I, I grew up as a fan, but you know, there's something different about this team, right? Starting last year into this year, in a sport that's, that is based ver- very much on individual performance, there's something that this team has that other teams don't, right? They're, they are built to mask each other's weaknesses. And I, I won't go on and on and on. I could go on and on and on about the, ama- the, the amazingness of this baseball team. But really, they are, made, they are put together to work with each other and, to accomplish the tasks that they've been given to accomplish. That's what makes for a good team, right? The beauty of good collaboration is, look, one is weak over here. Well, great. We've got one that's strong at that. Let's put them together. And we, as a team, together, can accomplish a goal. And that's... You know, hopefully I haven't lost 
many of you, kind of, you're now thinking about a world championship and I've lost you. Hopefully not. Uh, I might have lost myself just a minute ago. But I hope the picture is clear, right? That life is better lived with others. It's better lived together. And work, the work that we've been given to do is best accomplished through collaboration with others. And with God, I mean, that's, that's part of the picture in Genesis 2 is that man, humanity, we've been call, called both to work with God and his creative activity in the world and to work with each other. That's the picture that's painted. And if we can grasp this, we'll find ourselves increasing in neighborly love, not just for the person next door, but for our communities, for the, the places that we've been called, where we've been called to live and to work. We've been called to collaborate together. Second, the second thing we've, we've been created for is interdependence. Or to say it another way, we were designed to work for others. So both with others and for others. We need one another's work uh, for flourishing. And so do our communities. Our communities need the work, need our individual work together. We've been talking about God's design for our work, both last week and this week. We're made to be creative, to accomplish things, and to do so together. That's the gist uh, up to this point. In short, we've been talking about jobs, right? Adam's job, to work and to keep the garden, and what that means for our work. But when Eve arrives on the scene, in this first neighborhood, Eden, Eden Gardens, when, e, when Eve arrives, we also see that God has created the first economy. God has created the first economy. Now there are two people with jobs, right, who are called to make something of God's good world. Now, some of you have just heard economy for the first time in a sermon, and I can tell you that's the first time I've ever said the word economy in a sermon. So let me, let me do a little definition work, just simple, simple, very basic definition work about what an economy is. In its most basic form, it's production and consumption of goods and services in a, in a certain place, right, a, a region. Uh, it's, it's the exchange of wealth and resources, right? That's, that's the most basic idea of an economy. And we get our English word, economics, from really a, from a Greek word, the Greek word, oikonomia. And, and this word carries with it in scripture the meaning of household stewardship. That's very basically what oikonomia means, is household stewardship. It's a word about organization, a word about administration and about wise, wise management of resources in the, in the home, primarily in the family. So bound up in this word, the family and the marketplace actually come together in this idea of economics. And we saw that last week, the family and the work that we do coming together in this command to be fruitful and multiply. Right? So wrapped up in that command is both procreation, right, and productivity, making babies and making things of the world. That's what it means to be fruitful and multiply. It's both, procreation and productivity. So the mandate in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply is an economic command that involves both the family and the marketplace. Or to say it another way, to fill the earth and subdue it, which is another part of that five-fold imperative command given to Adam, fill the earth and, and subdue it is about economics. It's about making things and stewarding them well. It's about cr creative production and wise consumption. And the first neighborhood, as we see it in Genesis 2, needed more than just Adam doing his own good work. It needed an economy. It needed 
Eve in order to flourish, two people working together. They needed each other, and the same is true for us, right? I need your work, and you need my work. I hope. I hope that's true. It's about doing your work with other people in mind, for them, for their benefit, because we're all interconnected in this thing that we call the economy. And in his book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller uses the example of civil servants to make the point. He puts it this way. He says, how does God give a city security? Which I think is a fascinating point right out of the gate to think that God is the one that's actually ultimately in charge of the security of cities, of places, of neighborhoods. Right? How does God give a city security? Isn't it through lawmakers, police officers, and those working in government and politics? So God cares for our civic needs through the work of others whom he calls to that work. So God cares for our needs through the work of other people, of you and me. We care, he cares for us through the work of others. That's what it means to love your neighborhood by working for others. And we're all connected, we're all connected in this way. I mean, think about, think about the chair that you're sitting in right now and all the work that it took to get that chair to to this place where you can sit in it. I mean, all the all the production needs, the materials that need to be mined and produced and assembled and shipped, packed and shipped and purchased and delivered. And I mean, it's, it's staggering to think about how all of these chairs are here right now so that we can have this service. Or you think about the shoes that you're wearing or the clothes that you have. Or uh, I mean, we've had a lot of babies here at the Shawnee campus. And I, I remember we, we thought back on our experience at Shawnee Mission Medical, which was amazing, to think back at what, what all it took for us to have a baby in that hospital. is staggering to think about the amount of good work that we depended on to, to thrive, for, for our beautiful baby to be here. I mean, the, you know, ultimately God is the one that's doing it, right? Like the city and the security, God is the one that cares for us, but it's through the work that we do for each other. We are connected in ways that we, we often don't think about. But how it would change our work if we thought about the ways that doing good work Sunday through Saturday would affect the flourishing of other people. And that's what we're seeing here with Eve in this economy, a helper fit for Adam. And if your work is in the business world, you've been called to do this, to work for the good of others. And and theologian Wayne Grudem, he's explained it well. He has a book called Business for the Glory of God, which I highly recommend. But he says this, he says, by giving us the ability to buy and sell, God has given us a wonderful mechanism through which we can do good for each other. We should be thankful for this process. Every time we buy or sell something, we can honestly see buying and selling as one means of loving loving our neighbor as ourself. So when we create, improve, promote, distribute, uh, sell goods and services that improve the lives of other people, we are realizing, we are bringing into reality God's design for our economic life together. It's more than just the philanthropic work that your company or that your business is involved in, though that matters. All of what you do uh, for the glory of God is good work. And this isn't just true for government or business or commerce or the things that we often think of as, as the economy, right? This is true, uh, this is true for, those, for whatever your calling is, whatever work you've been called to do, even if you don't receive a paycheck for that work. Um, many of you have been called to work inside the home, that you stay home uh, and care for kids and manage 
your household, and your work matters for other people. Your work matters for flourishing neighborhoods, for the good of our communities. In fact, our communities are fracturing right around the point of broken families, right? And Pastor Andy Stanley has said it well. Um, he says, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God, and I would add to neighborhoods that, that are flourishing, may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Um, which any, the point is also made that your, your closest, the closest neighbor that you've been called to love is that little, that little mouth that you feed day in and day out. If, if you think about your call to love your neighbor, there they are, right? And your work, your good work in raising those, raising children and managing a household is work that contributes to the good of the community. And students, or kids, kids and students, your work now matters too. Don't, don't buy the lie that your work only matters someday. That you're only learning things so that you can matter someday when you grow up, right? Your work right now, your contribution to the world, your learning, the things that you do in school, it matters. It matters for our neighborhoods. It matters for our church. So do your work, learn in school, do the things that you do day in, day out, your play, your time with your friends, do that for the good of your neighborhood, of, the commu- of your school, of your church. And those who are retired here this morning, your work for others is needed as well, right? You have skills and experience that is invaluable for others. Our understanding of work is, our work is not tied to compensation, right, but contribution. So just because you don't receive a paycheck does not mean that you cannot bear fruit that that is needed for flourishing neighborhoods. We can live fruitful lives and add value to the world even if we don't receive a a paycheck for that work. And I, I hope too, as I've reflected on this, I hope this is true for me as a pastor too, that my work, that you need my work as much as I need yours that my work is helping others flourish. And, and many of you know, if you know me, what gets me out of bed in the morning is, is knowing that I, can, that I can support others and help them flourish. I've been called as a support leader, as an associate pastor, to help Tim flourish, to help Nate flourish, to help you thrive in the work that you do day in and day out. And I hope that my work even contributes to the good of our neighborhoods, the communities to which we've been called I came across a quote recently that sort of made my heart sing, and I hope it's true for all of us in our work that you find this to be encouraging. This is what Cornelius Plantinga said. He said, according to God's intelligence or his design, the way to thrive is to help others to thrive. The way to flourish is to cause others to flourish. The way to fulfill yourself is to spend yourself. The idea, the idea is that if people encourage each other, pour out interest and goodwill upon each other, favor each other with blessings, customize to fit the other person's need, what transpires is a lovely burst of shalom, which I love that. The shalom, this, this Hebrew word that means wholeness or completeness or peace, that in the midst of our broken neighborhoods, which our neighborhoods are necessarily broken, no matter how clean or manicured or perfect they look, we all live in broken places, right? We work in broken places. That if we work for the flourishing of others, we understand that the only way others thrive is through our work, that we can actually bring these lovely bursts of shalom, little pockets of wholeness, of the way things ought to be. We can bring those into the world through our work and through our worship. 
We live in places that need this, right? And we work now with others and for others toward a day when all things will be made new. And that's the hope. That's, that's the trajectory of this story, right? We start in Genesis and we end in Revelation. We go from a garden to a beautiful city where there's no more pain, no more suffering. And that's what we work together for, for the flourishing of our neighborhoods. Now, I, I know what we've been exploring in this series can be, it can feel a little abstract, it can feel a little out there and beyond us, and believe me, I feel that as much as anyone. Um, and, and if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a video is worth way more than a thousand words, right? So we're gonna, we're gonna watch a video that hopefully will help to animate some of your imagination around what this could look like in your work as you seek to live out what it means to work for the flourishing of our community. So look, take a look at this video. Uh, what do I do with most of my day? We, uh, I own a, a creative agency. Um, we, we get the opportunity to work with entrepreneurs and people that are starting new venture ideas, uh, consult with them and collaborate with them, and then work with a team of designers and developers to uh, build web apps, and iPhone apps, and, and then try to launch new businesses. We wear multiple hats, and so from an owner's perspective, uh, George and I get to work collaboratively on where we're going, where we're gonna take this thing. Uh, my name is George Brooks. I've been coming to Christ Community for just shy of 10 years now. My name is Dan Linhart, and my family and I have been coming to Christ Community for just a little over 10 years. As we work together in a collaborative environment, we're gonna trust each other to not only own up to the accountability you have in whatever project you're working on, but we're gonna trust each other's specialty as well. There's something amazing to come to our office, and that's why we bring our clients there a lot, is to see programmers, designers, product strategists, business people, project managers all in one room. Um, you come up with a, a wonderful thing, and it's a great solution to that can solve a great problem. So I, I like to use the odd is can will, the kind of four-part gospel. If this was the perfect business, you know, the, um, the ought of the business, if this was the perfect business, what would it look like? And the reality is, is there's an is. Um, there's constraints, whether it's budget or time, a bunch of different factors are going to play into the success of whether or not that business works. And then the can is really, for me in our space, is what can this be? Um, within those constraints, we can do something great, but the best way to do it is to work as close to that ought as we could. And that ought would be really everyone with their different disciplines and their different strengths and gifts coming together for a great result. Work truly is, it's, it's a gift that we've been given to serve others. Um, and I, I love um, in the Old Testament when, when God says that I'm blessing you so that uh, you can be a blessing. That's kind of something that's stuck with me. A couple years ago, we worked with a, an entrepreneur um, that had an idea, and he was a brilliant man, and him and his co-founder were really smart guys. And we were there to really help provide the, the tool, the technology platform that was gonna help their company grow. Um, and again, in entrepreneurship, there's always that opportunity that's just not gonna work. When it does work, when a new company is formed that is solving a problem that actually does exist in the world, that is, it's, it's like magic. We were able to kind of help them set up the pedestal to grow their business. And the last time we met up with them, this is about six months ago or so, they had 85 employees, I think, at that particular location. And they had gone global. Well, 
those are jobs. Those are people now have jobs because of the thing that we helped start. And and oh, by the way, other businesses are being formed by the money that they're lending. And, and just that's when it gets really exciting is that there was a right. problem to be solved. We were able to be a part of the journey to help solve it. I have a gift, I have a contribution, but it's not the full thing. I, I need to come here and give it to others. And if they're doing the same, that's where truly where we've seen and the clients we worked with and the products we've built, that's truly where the greatness comes from. I think it's a great picture of what it could like could look like to collaborate with others for the good uh, of, of our city, of our neighborhoods. Um, Dan, I know Dan, he's a good friend, and I can say without exaggeration that that is their heart behind what they do day in and day out when they make when they hire people, when they set the trajectory of their budget. I mean, they do all of that for the good of others, for the common good. And so hopefully that sparks some imagination of what this could look like in your work. I just want to spend our kind of the final few moments here giving a few more practical handles, just a, just a couple application points as we leave uh, around what it looks like to work with and for each other by God's design. And so first, and I'm going to reiterate sort of what Tim said last week, and that is go and do good work. <laughs> Create. We've all been called to be fruitful and multiply. I mean, this, this is the call in Genesis 1, and it's here in Genesis 2 as well, right? Create and do so with, with others and for others, with others in mind. How, whatever God has gifted you with, wherever he has called you to bear fruit, do so with and for others. Second, partner with others that are doing good work in our community. I mean, these are not rocket science, right? But partner with others and actually one really good kind of next step out of here, we, we love Advice and Aid as a ministry partner in this community that is doing really good work for the common good of all, especially of those who have unplanned pregnancies that need the support of a community and need the good news of the gospel. And so we, we do these Bridges meals on Thursday. Some of you were a part of the last one this last Thursday, which is a great way to support the good work that they're doing. We also have uh, the, the grocery bags that Tim mentioned during the announcement. So you can pick up, and that's one really good way to collaborate with them, right? You bring what you can bring. They bring what they can bring. And together, we actually do live out God's design to collaborate with and for each other. And then finally, I want to say express gratitude for the work of others. Express gratitude for the good work that others are doing, right? Spoken or written, uh, the gratitude expressed can really um, communicate meaning and impact to others. And I, and I want to say, I, wasn't, I didn't plan on doing this this morning, but I've received in the last week notes from two different people that, are, that did just this, that expressed good work, that expressed encouragement to me for the work that I do as a pastor. And that, that has been, I mean, it's, it was a lovely burst of shalom in my life. And, and we can do that. You can do that for others. As, as you see others collaborating together, as you see them working for the good of their neighborhoods and their cities, express your gratitude for that kind of good work. It goes a long way, and it can be a lovely burst of shalom in their life as well. And I, and I would be remiss if I didn't at this point also say thank you to you all for the work that you do. We are so grateful. I mean, Tim and Nate and I are so grateful for this body, for this church. I mean, none of this happens without the good work of people coming together and collaborating with and for each other. But also the work that you do in your communities, 
right? That is good work that means a great deal to God because people mean a great deal to God, right? And this work that we do is about the common good of people in the places where we live and work. And God wants to use your work. You are designed to make an impact for the common good as you think of others in your work. And he asks us really to follow in his footsteps uh, in doing this as we work with and for others for the good of our neighborhoods. See, Jesus was the first one. He was the first to enter a broken neighborhood. This world, he came, he came, John 1 says that he, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the word there is literally he, he moved into the neighborhood. He made his home here in this broken world. And he did so to bring rescue and restoration to those of us, I mean, we need it. We need his good work on our behalf, right? And this truth is presented most really clearly in one of my favorite passages, and this is where we'll end, Ephesians 2. These verses from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is not work that you could do on your own. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. See, our work, even though important, cannot earn us the right standing before God. We need someone to come do for us what we cannot do for ourselves in bringing restoration, in bringing wholeness, in bringing shalom. And Jesus does that work on our behalf, and he offers, he offers it to us freely, this life of shalom, of wholeness. And there's a life that he's made us to walk into, right? We, we are not just saved by grace. This grace changes the way we live. And we see this in verse 10. We see it in the, in the opening chapter of Genesis and here in this ancient letter to the Ephesians. He writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, we're free to, to work with and for one another as a response to and a reflection of a God who has worked with and for us first. So may we be found faithful in the call to live out this design in our neighborhoods to to work with and for each other for the common good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating us to work with and for each other and for involving us really in the grand work. I mean, it's remarkable that you even do that, that you involve us in the work that you're doing in this world to make all things new. And we long for the day when that is true, when our neighbors and our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools are free from the brokenness that we see all around us. Use us, we pray, God, in, in the ways that you've gifted us, the ways that you've uniquely gifted us to contribute, use us to collaborate with you and with each other in the redemptive work that you're, that you're doing in our city and around the world. And thank you for entering our broken lives first and making them new through the power of your spirit. We pray that you would continue that work, God. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.